This is WITS, the podcast from American Public Media. WITS is a public radio program emanating from the Fitzgerald Theater in St. Paul. I host it. Comics, actors, authors, musicians come to town and we put on a show with laughs and songs and conversations and surprises. So on this podcast, we will sometimes bring you the latest edition of that. Other times, like this week, we'll retreat to the studio, talk to some people that we like, listen to things that are entertaining. We have lots of fun ahead this week. Producer Larissa Anderson is here with the rundown. What's on the docket? Well, you'll be pleased to know that John Hodgman is on the show. John Hodgman, a versatile, versatile comedic figure in the media landscape today. He's an author. He is a judge on a podcast. He writes in the New York Times. He acts in films sometimes and also television programs. Yes. So we hear from him and then we're going to travel way back in time to the very first wits ever. Wow. For a story from Julia Sweeney. I love this story so much and the world actually loves this story. 2.1 million views on YouTube for this story and we're going to we're going to play it for you in its entirety, and uh, you don't need the visual of YouTube for it. You no, have radio. you will laugh. You will laugh. It's hysterical. Yes, and it's about sex, everybody. And before we do all that, we get a news update. Yeah, and I got really lucky with that. Uh, you know, we wanted to get some kind of uh, content deal with a news organization, and I got one. I landed one. Did you you outsourced it? Exactly, yep. So who is it? New York Times? CNN? No. no. What? No. No. Those are way too expensive. No. The company I found can give us news updates, and all they asked for in return was, it was kind of strange, all they asked was an old shovel and some socks. <laughs> who who would do that? Well, they're called Here Are the News, and they're on Twitter, at Here Are the News, and they've already sent us a news update. Let's go ahead and uh, and play it. News. And now, here are the news. A news reporting from the staff journalist reporters of Here Are the News. I'm a guy. In the lands across oceans from the America today, rebels were mad at a government and everyone yelled and threw guns at all sorts of guys. Expect everything to be all mixed up and fighty forever. There. In government economy numbers, the candy machine is all busted. Kick it harder, says expert. The expert is Todd, but not the Todd you're thinking of. It's the stupider Todd. Businesses news. Boss scores are way up. But why did anyone put that new bun restaurant, where painful shoes used to be at, at the collapsing mall? Now may be a good time to throw all your money away and put on all your pants at once. Turning to sport, the bicycle champion Lance Armstrong has quit his bracelet company. The company will keep selling bracelets without him. Also, a big shoe company has fired Armstrong and says he can't wear shoes ever anymore. This comes after France made it illegal for him to ever ride a bike again. All this is in connection with Armstrong being a dope. He is expected to live in a hole in the ground forever and wear a cardboard box for a hat. Now to the president-having contest. The one man and the other guy got trapped in New York last night and said things in war suits. But what, if anything, did they say? Can anyone even know anything about stuff? Here to talk words at that are two humans. Malk Frompose from the School of Buildings. Malk. Hello. And Gwendolyn Cragfordson of the Thinking Tank. Hello. Pleased to be places. Malk, I am starting on you. Which of the president chasers hit people the most? The man who lives in the house now, the president man, he was louder than before. 
I remember when the men fought another time. The president man fell asleep, he had a pillow, he dreamed about things and snored. I remember this as a fact that happened. In this fight, he pushed the other man over with word shoves. The donkey group must be all high-fivey about it. Gwendolyn? Look, the fight was more fighty all the way around. The challenging man said, President Man, you're doing wrong because no one knows how to get to their jobs. And he said, oh no, we have to give money to other people and you made it so we don't have money anyplace. Those word groups make a lot of nods happen at the elephant party. And another thing that I say to agree, the challenging man was powerful when he talked about all the dollars we have to shove into cars to make them do things. But President Mann said, yes, we put more dollars in than four years ago. But that's because four years ago, the world had exploded and we don't want any more world explosions. Let's talk about ladies and the things they do. Gwendolyn, you're one. The ladies like President Mann, and he wanted to make sure they like him on person picking day. So he was excited to talk about paying them money for their jobs and things about kid having. But Malk, challenging man, had those binders he talked about. Binders filled with women. That was a strong moment for challenging man. He's somehow able to fit grown-up women into a binder and carry them around. I think he's a sorcerer, maybe just really good with office supplies. Better than me at office supplies. I'm always stapling things to my skull. We don't know what kind of binder it is. It could be six feet tall and have no rings at all. It could be a bus or a rocket ship with binder written on the side. Well, the next president fight is happening next Monday. That one will be about the things that happen when you're not in USA. And person picking day is less than three weeks from now. Gwendolyn Cragfordson, Malk Frompos, I am thanking you. And I am thanking you back. Also, me too. John Hodgman is the only comedy guest so far to appear on Wits twice, spring of 2010, fall of 2011. We like John, even though he did coerce me into lying down on the floor of the theater during a show once. I've gotten over it, mostly. John's the author of three very popular books of fake knowledge, the most recent being That Is All, which has just been released as an audiobook. It features several celebrity guest stars, John Hamm, Dick Cavett, Sarah Val, lots and lots of people. Here's John from that audiobook. One thing I've learned is that famous people are very nice to you if they are also famous. Even if you're only minorly famous, Jeff Goldblum will stop playing piano and come over to talk to you. But that is a very special story, one that I will never tell you because it is personal. However, I will tell you about the time that I met the actor Ian McShane. Get ready for a John Hodgman moment in Hollywood animation moment. There's only one moment, because I only made one animated film. It's called Coraline. As you may know, this was an animated movie about a girl made of clay who hates her parents, and I played two of her fathers. Ian McShane also was in this movie, but of course I never met him, like all the actors in an animated movie. I recorded my lines alone while locked in a broom closet with what I presumed was a, a murderous scarecrow. But uh, later turned out that's actually the director, Henry Selleck, who just looks that way. So you can imagine my surprise when, at a screening for the film some years later, because it takes so long to make an animated film, some years later, Ian McShane came up to me and embraced me, Al Gore style. I'd never met him before. We'd never spoken before. And here he was hugging me. And it was like being hugged by a murderous old leather blanket with a Cockney accent. And even though... We had never exchanged words. I loved him. 
I was under no illusion that he had any meaningful idea who I was. All that mattered was he knew that I was slightly famous and slightly connected to him. And in Hollywood, this equals hugging. That's how it's done in show business. The relationships are very intense, but impermanent, like in summer camp or in prison or in summer prison. For a brief time, you feel you cannot be closer to a person. And then the day after shooting ends, you refuse to talk to them and pretend that they don't exist. Sorry, Justin Long. Alternately, you may barely have worked with someone one time, and the next time you see that person, you hug him because you both survived the weird scarecrow box. Ian McShane and I had that in common. But even as we hugged, I knew it meant nothing. I knew. Indeed, I could see him begin to forget me even before he stopped hugging me, 20 minutes later. Now, I'm sure this sounds terrible if you are a normal, which you are. But I think it is in some ways a more healthy way to live. To be fully present when another person is in front of you, but to be unconcerned and detached when they are gone. After all, this is how animals greet each other in the wild. They don't spend a lot of time trying to remember each other's names. They're not nervous about what they might have said at a previous encounter or the dumb thing they might have said in this exchange. No. If they don't end up attacking each other or mating, they simply sniff, pass by, and forget. The moron of the story? Now I understand why Ian McShane smelled me all over and playfully grabbed my neck with his jaws. John Hodgman reading from his book, That Is All. That's from the new audiobook version. John's also a regular on The Daily Show, an actor in movies and TV shows, and the star of the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Let's call him up and see how he's doing. Hello. John Hodgman, John Moe. Oh, hi, John Moe. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Are we recording right now? We are. Good. Yeah. Are you on a whirlwind of publicity? Not a whirlwind. Yeah. Um, a, a, a funnel cloud? A, uh, a, a gentle breeze. Okay, a gentle breeze of publicity. <laughs> a crisp fall breeze. Ah, nice. Of publicity. Allow the Wits podcast to be your cup of warm cider. Oh, thank yeah. you very much. Oh. Thanks for mulling. Sure. Well, here's the thing, John Hodgman. I, we go way back. I've interviewed you bunches of times. I would say we've had interesting conversations together. Yes, we have. We, we have. Because we know each other first from friendship. Yes. Second from radio and last from podcasting. <laughs> it's a new frontier here with the podcasting. Yeah, well, well, congratulations. I'm, well, glad to be a, I'm glad to be a part of the new venture. You know, that's not easy for non-young people like us, John, to range between media platforms like that. I'm glad we were able to pull it off. I'm glad we were still limber enough. Do you know Rookie? No. The website? Uh, this is a, a, a young woman. Is it like in- Vanity Fair? I know that magazine. <laughs> You know that that's, that's edited by a 12-year-old now. <laughs> uh, there's, a young, there's a young woman named Tavi. Uh, she's, I think, 16 or 17 years old. She's a high school student in Chicago. Um, started a fashion blog when she was in her early teens that became very popular in fashion circles. And she started getting invited to fashion shows when she was a kid um, and sort of adopted by the fashion world in sort of half-charming, half-creepy way. But she's really smart and funny and good and and decided to, to expand her empire and create a whole full-service 
um, magazine about being a teenage girl called Rookie online and, and now also in print. And she's incredibly influential, really editorially very smart. And Rookie is like, some would say it is the sassy of our day. Do you remember Sassy, sure. that magazine for I girls? Sure, Sassy. But it's, it's something I think even uh, more it's important. It's, it's the Rookie of our day. It's one of the most interesting publications that I've seen, but also one that, that gives me an incredible amount of melancholy because it's not merely acknowledging, oh, I'm older, right. but that, that, that young people young people have always been capable of doing more creatively and, and sort of with more energy and, and taking up more time than old people ever have. It used to be, though, that we could force them out of the market. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. A young the, person couldn't record a song or or play the ukulele into, we had a, into a minicam and get a million hits all yes. over the world. We had, we kept them down in yeah. order to 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 keep our culture prominent, and that is no longer necessary. They will just go straight to the source and and make stuff, and we will be left behind. Well, we got totally ripped off then because there were people who did that to us, but then out of our own uh, resentment and spite, we don't get to do it to anybody else. No, that's, a, that's we're the real victims true. here. Yeah. But, but but what is. What is our loss as culture's gain? I suppose. I just remember there was, there was something featured on Rookie, which were these two girls. One was, and it's not just girls, too. It's, it's also boys, but, you know, girls are smarter. You know, sure. that's how it goes. And there are these two girls, and um, they're singing the cover of a song that I'd never heard before in my life, but apparently it's a popular song called Call Your Girlfriend. Yes. It's the two of them singing in harmony, a cappella, but not exactly a cappella. They're, they're accompanied uh, by two empty margarine tubs. Oh. Uh, two empty, like butter, you know, like a, like a, like spreadable butter containers that they are uh, using as percussion instruments. They each have one, and they tap out the percussion, and then flip them over and tap out the percussion in this in this incredibly complex, rhythmic Miss Mary Mac sort of double Dutch game uh -huh. they're playing as they're singing beautifully. And I remember watching this and going, yeah, I got no chance. I got no chance. I can't compete with that. But you just met somebody new Tell her not to get upset To keep missing everything you said and done And when she gets upset Tell her But, John, now I'm going to pivot it back to you. You are sort of, I, I think some people feel that way kind of about you, not for your golden harmonies or your margarine percussive abilities, but for your, your polymathism, your I'm writing a book, I'm doing uh, an advice column, I'm acting in movies, I'm doing a variety of things. Well, it, let's just let's be clear. I am not acting in movies. You're not acting. You you have acted. In I have I have done yes. And television programs. I have done that too. But yes. is it is it a matter of I'm going to go out and do all these things, or am I going to do a thing that I kind of think is interesting, and then I'm going to wait to receive emails and phone calls? Um, it, it, it was not it was not calculated, but it is true. In retrospect, I can look back and say, oh, I always was attracted to and inspired by those figures who did a lot of different things. Like I always loved George Plimpton, and I always thought he was. 
great because he made life a, a game and an adventure, do you know? And for those of you who don't know, he was the editor of the Paris Review. He was my editor at the Paris Review when I published one short story in there some million years ago. He was a journalist, what was termed by him participatory journalism, so he would write about uh, the Detroit Lions by playing with the Detroit Lions. That's a, that's a sports ball team, right? Detroit that Lions. is sports right, ball, okay, yeah. right. Um, he would box. Uh, he would write about boxing by learning to box. In, in many ways, he was the pioneer of the stunt memoir movement that is now right. such a huge part of our, our publishing landscape. Yeah. And I loved him for doing all of that stuff. And he acted as well. And I liked that he made his life an adventure. And I think that that was sort of my my unconscious or semi-conscious uh, career aspiration. And then I appreciated that I had a facility for writing, and I. I always would, knew that I would write because it was the thing that gave me the most satisfaction when I did it well, but it was also the most ephemeral feeling of satisfaction and one that when it was over, um, I had forgotten what it felt like and didn't want to have to go through the work to get it again. So in many ways, I think that it was a two different impulses working at once. One, my desire to, I don't know how else to say it, but live a life of adventure, of like having fun and having experiences that filled me with delight and productive terror and interacting with people that surprised, amazed, or astonished me um, and getting a chance to play with them. And then at the same time, there was this passion for writing, not even a passion, a curse of, of writing and knowing how to write, but hating to do it. And so the more I did other things, the less I would have to do that. Productive terror. Can you elaborate on that term? You know, doing new things is terrifying. And putting yourself in a situation where you are creatively terrified uh, or uncomfortable is really good. It forces you to rise above what you think you can do. And by productive terror, I sort of am describing the experience, say, of going and being asked to act in a TV show like Battlestar Galactica mm -hmm. and saying yes and then realizing on set oh, this is actually happening, and this is not this is not a joke, and this right. is not a nerd fantasy camp that I've arranged. This is an actual show with professionals working on it, and I have to rise to the occasion and do a good job. And that, you know, the terror of being in a completely unfamiliar situation really snapped my brain into focus, and I learned a lot about acting, and I learned a lot about myself, and I learned a lot about being in the world, and I had a great adventure as a result. And honestly, I can't do a weird Miss Mary Mac double Dutch game with twin butter tubs while singing in perfect harmony with my sister. My brain isn't built that way. I could have done it when I was younger, but my brain is dying, just like every other part of my body. And putting myself into those uncomfortable or scary or I don't know if I can do this situations really brings it right back to life. That's our pal John Hodgman. He's not in this fall season of shows. Don't worry, he'll come back. He's like a comet, a comedy comet. Lots of other folks are in this season, though. Dave Foley, Mike Doty, Martha Wainwright, Brandy Carlisle, Maria Bamford, Henry Rollins, Lissy. It's a huge, huge season. Oh, and John Hodgman has a message for you listeners. People of Minnesota, yeah. go see all of these wits shows immediately buy your tickets now yes, yes. and the people of massachusetts and, and new england in general uh blow off wits and come see me and jonathan colton at the calvin <laughs> theater november 2nd and then at the wilbur theater in boston november 3rd people equidistant between saint paul and boston i'm afraid you have a decision to make you're at the crossroads good luck
May wisdom be upon you. Julia Sweeney is coming back this fall, November 16th. She was the comedy guest on our first Wits Ever, way back in March of 2010. And she told this story, which, caution, dear podcast listeners, does contain references and discussions about sex. If you're afraid of that, please run away right now. One evening on a school night when my daughter Mulan was eight years old, we were eating dinner together at a Thai restaurant and she told me that her class had begun studying all about frogs. And she said, so mom, so first the frogs lay eggs and then the eggs turn into tadpoles and then the tadpoles turn into frogs, right? And I said, yeah, that's right, but I think it's just the females that lay the eggs. And Mulan said, oh, only the females lay the eggs? Well, what do the male frogs do then? And I said, well, they fertilize them. And she said, well, what does fertilize them mean? And I said, oh, the males make this substance inside them. It's like this co-ingredient for making tadpoles. And then they sprinkle it on the eggs. And, <laughs> and then she said, so only the females have the eggs. <clears throat> and I said, yes. And she said, is that true for humans too? Now let me freeze this scene for a moment to say <laughs> that even as I considered myself an enlightened, open-minded, sex-is-no-big-deal parent, I hadn't truly prepared myself for this moment. I mean, I had read a few parenting books and they all seemed to advise the same thing, which was when your child starts to ask you about sex or really anything that is complicated or multifaceted, just answer the exact question they asked. Nothing more, do not elaborate, don't overshare. And so in that sense, I suppose I was prepared for this moment. I wasn't going to stop and take her hand and get all watery-eyed and explain how the beautiful way that we create more children in the world, that wasn't what she was asking. She wanted to know if human women had eggs. The answer was clear and unambiguous. Yes, I said. I let there be a little pause. I tried to think of some other subject to move on to, but before I could, <clears throat> Mulan said, well, where do women keep their eggs? And I wanted to say, in a vault, in a little purse, <laughs> in a Tupperware bowl in the back of the refrigerator. But I couldn't joke. That was definitely not in the advice books, just the facts. So I said, well, funnily enough, we have evolved to have our own pond right in our own bodies. And that's where we keep our eggs. Where is it, Mulan asked, her eyes bigger than ever. It's in our lower abdomen, inside of us, sort of below our belly button area. Well, how do the eggs get fertilized? I, by the man, I said, smiling. I looked deeply at my green curry and tried to think about how to get this conversation back to frogs. <clears throat> Mulan said, I know, but, but how? I said, well, um, he has this substance called sperm. <clears throat> um, I said this with my eyes darting around just like my mother would have done in this situation, which when I realized I was doing this, it made me momentarily overcome with the horror that I was turning into my mother, which then caused me to turn to Mulan with a focus that should have unnerved even the devil. <clears throat> Mulan said, I know, but how does the sperm get to the eggs, Mom? I took a deep breath and assumed a very casual pose. You could say a forcefully casual pose. And I said, oh, yes, yes, that. Well, 
um, the sperm uh, comes out of his penis and it goes into the woman's vagina and that's how the baby gets started. Isn't this green curry delicious? fork down and her face was twisted up with a look of disgust. She said, Mom, you mean where you go to the bathroom? That's where humans make a baby, where you go to the bathroom? Mom. Yes, I said, lowering my voice and looking around conspiratorially. I know, it's weird. It is weird. Gross, Mulan mumbled. Yeah, I know, it is. It is a little bit like having a waste treatment plant right next to an amusement park. <laughs> Terrible zoning. It's how we evolved. But mom, Mulan asked, how can this ever happen? Because mom, men and women, they could never be naked together. Well, I explained. When people are older, much, much, much older than a kid, for example, when they're much older and they both decide they want to in very certain circumstances, then they can be naked together. But how do they know when, Mulan asked. Like, does the man say, is now the time to take off my pants? <laughs> we held each other's gaze for a moment out of time. Yes, I said. That's exactly right. And to my great relief, Mulan seemed to be very comforted by this, and we began to eat again with gusto, and we moved on to other topics of conversation. But as we were driving home down Sunset Boulevard, past the bustling Hollywood streets full of people, Mulan asked, what if two people just walked up to each other on the street and just started doing it, Mom? I looked at her in the rearview mirror. Her eyebrows were furrowed, and she was looking at some people standing outside of Yogurtland. Oh, that would never happen, I said. At this point, I decided the best way to approach all questions was to pretend that I was Margaret Mead or some dispassionate anthropologist discussing the mating habits of some species other than our own. Then Mulan asked, well, what if you went to a party and there were a bunch of men and women and they just all started doing it, Mom? Would that ever happen? No, that would never happen, I said, because humans are very private. Mom, Mulan said, have you ever done this? Yes, I said flatly. But Mom, you can't have children. That's true, I said. Well, you never have to do that again, <laughs> Mulan said. I said, well, if you really love someone and you're an adult, a, a much older adult, then, and you want, then you want to do it. There was a moment of silence and Mulan stared out the window deep in thought. But mom, how can people do that? I mean, how do their legs go? You know, not everyone can do the splits. <laughs> At this 
point, Mulan became somewhat obsessed with legs and sex. She could not figure out how it was physically possible. Finally, I said, Mulan, people figure the legs out. They just do. Oh, Mulan said, taking this in. She quieted down and we got home. When we got out of our car, our cat Val was sitting on the fr in the front yard soaking up the last bits of sunlight. She saw us and rolled onto her back. What about cats, Mulan asked. How do they do it? Oh, it's basically the same idea, I said. We walked in the front door and there was our dog, Arden, jumping up on us and licking my hand. What about dogs, Mulan asked. Oh, same thing, you know, it's just basically all the same thing for mammals. What about their legs? Mulan asked again. I go, look, I was now tired of this subject and clearly not thinking ahead. Maybe we can look on Wikipedia and it will show you. <laughs> so, we went out back to my office with a big computer screen. We went online and I typed in dogs mating. <laughs> I, felt, I felt very thankful that I lived in a modern age where this was possible. And of course, on YouTube, there were thousands of videos. So we sat and watched a couple of them. Mulan was riveted. Her face was closer and closer to the computer screen. What about cats, she asked. We watched a few cat videos. <laughs> then she put her hand on my arm. Because it's funny because I, the way I remember this now is that it's in slow motion. And maybe that's because I had only at this time realized how incredibly stupid I was. And Milan asked with her open, sweet face, her innocent, inquiring face, Mom, do you think there might be any films of humans mating on the internet? taken my daughter by the hand and introduced her to the idea of internet porn. I was a monster for a mother. I looked at her and said, no. There would never be anything like that. Because humans are so private. suggested we go and have some dessert, which of course was teaching her that when issues about sex got awkward, food was really the answer. <laughs> Later that night, Mulan asked, well, wait a minute, what about Roger and Don? How do they do it? Roger and Don are a gay couple who are friends of ours. I said, I don't know. <laughs> she left. A little while later, she came back and said, Mom, I think I have an idea of how Roger and Don can do it. I said, oh, you do? She said, yeah, mom, there's another hole down there where you also go to the bathroom. And here was my little daughter at age eight inventing anal sex. Maybe, I said, trying as hard as I could to act completely bored and disinterested in the topic. But mom, she said, what about two girls? What about Eileen and Karen? Like, how do they do it? I don't know. I said meekly, trying to sound bored. Well, why don't you call Karen and ask her? Mulan asked me. No, I said, trying, pretending to be reading the paper. Finally, Mulan came up to me and pushed her face close to mine. She looked disgusted. She said, Mom, aren't you even curious? Thank you.
Julia Sweeney at Wits in 2010. She'll be back with more to say on November 16th at the Fitzgerald Theatre in St. Paul. Tickets for that show and for other shows in our fall season are on sale now. Go to mpr.org slash wits for details. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at wits. Make sure to review this podcast on iTunes. That helps spread the podcast like a, a virus, a virus of comedy, a sort of contagion of comedy to people all over the world. Thank you to John Hodgman for being with us and to Jill Riley and Malk Frompose for lending us their voices this week. I'm John Moe. Talk to you next week. Bye now. You should have been gone.